Man, it is so great to have some things back on the church calendar of things going on. Uh, we even had a movie night here uh, with families and kids and stuff and popcorn and mess everywhere. But it was so great just to, to start coming and doing things again. So thank you for all those that are showing up to these events and making them happen. Um, yeah, what a, what a morning. Like uh, so many people have been praying for me and for the message this morning. And so I can come with that with like encouragement or like fear of like, Okay, God, what are you doing, you know? So, um, but I'm, I am super encouraged. I do believe that there's been a lot of prayer into today. And um, God wants to do something different if we just open our hearts. And I know, I just kind of sensed even today of maybe some people are kind of new here or newer here. And even the expression of worship here, you're like, man, they're just a little too vocal. They're a little too unorthodox in their worship. And we're going to kind of get to that a little bit of understanding that. Um, I just want you to lean in and, and see that God is doing something here. Um, and, and he's doing some stuff. And he, and, he, and he brings this whole mix of people from all different backgrounds and all different beliefs and all different experiences that Daniel has shared. People from different places, we all come together, we mix together, right? And it turns into something beautiful. And because some things mix together really well, right? Like same things like chocolate and peanut butter, great mixture together. Cake and coffee, amazing combination, right? Bacon and eggs, right? Rainy days and a good movie. Sunshine and the beach. Me and my wife, couple in heaven, right? Match made in heaven. Like some things just mix together really well, right? Really well. Actually, speaking of my wife, um, she's going to be mad at me, but next week is Mother's Day, and she has agreed to preach the sermon. So you guys be praying for her. Uh, <laughs> she has got a powerful, powerful message in her heart that you do not want to miss. And we have a special gift for all the mothers that will be here too. And all ladies that will be here. So, uh, so a lot of things mixed together. We mix together very well. We've, we, we fit together very well. Another thing that mixed together really well is grace and truth. Grace and truth. Other things don't mix together well. I went to Facebook and asked some of you, what does not mix well? And Facebook did not disappoint. I think I had like 74 comments on there of things that don't mix. Here's just a highlight of some of them. Oil and water, fire and ice, socks and sandals. Wives, you are welcome. Make that very clear. Socks and sandals do not go together. Pineapple on pizza? Who says pineapple on pizza does not mix together, right? Some people say no, no. Taco Bell and tequila. Um, <laughs> Pickles and ice cream, flaming hot Cheetos, and strawberry quick. Oh, disgusting. Um, brushing your teeth, then drinking a glass of orange juice. Everybody loves to start their day that way, right? Or how about the reverse of eating Oreos, then brushing your teeth. That's another whole experience there. Uh, somebody said peanut butter and pickle sandwiches. That's just, why? Why would you even, that's, this, if that's you, that is sin in your life. And we're going to have a time of repentance after service here today to, to rid your heart of such things, right? How about cereal and water? But when you're in college, you do desperate things. <laughs> desperate measures lead to desperate times, right? Cereal and water, right? And here were some of the best ones. Facebook and sermon advice. <laughs> and the winner is pastors and trampolines. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
They do not mix together. And our friend Kathy brought up an old classic one. You have to be here for a while to get that Frosties and urine do not go together. You got to listen to an old sermon on that one to get that one. So, all right. So some things just mix together well and some things do not mix well together. And something that does not mix well together is religion and Christianity. They just do not mix. And we're continuing our Mark series. We're finally making it to Mark chapter 3. We're going to go through 1 through 6 today. And we are going to continue. We keep on like circling closer and closer. I feel like we've been talking about Christianity is not religion. And Jesus coming against this religion spirit for like a, quite a few weeks. And he keeps on seems to be coming back to it over and over. It's like we got to keep on hearing it. We got to keep on learning it. We got to keep on coming back because like religion. When I say religion, this is traditions. This is rules. This is this is tradition and rules over relationship with Jesus. This is works-based faith, like only works is I'm going to make myself right with God and simple faith in Jesus Christ that he has done it all, that he has paid for my sin. I cannot do anything to receive it. It is a gift from him. And Jesus keeps on having this interaction with the religious people of the day known as the Pharisees. These Pharisees, they keep on confronting him. And he keeps on like stepping right up to the mat. He does not back down with this religious spirit that keeps on rising up nonstop. And he is doing, like I just had this vision, he's doing this like surgeon's work of like carefully, so slowly, as if we have it written out in the word of God of slowly just Little by little, revealing and cutting away more of our wrong perspectives of our Heavenly Father. He's cutting away each time of the traditions and the rules that we, even as church people, can lean into. So just to recap real fast, the first thing that Jesus does, we saw a few weeks ago, is that he, forget, he, is, he forgives sin. Remember, here he is in Peter's house. He's preaching a sermon. Some guys break through, right? The, the Pharisees are sitting on the front row waiting for Jesus to say something controversial. And then someone cuts a hole in the roof. They drop a guy right in front of him. That is paralyzed. He cannot walk. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees and everyone else is like, what? No, you can't do that. Jesus is declaring that he himself is God. They're not seeing that. They're seeing this as blasphemy. You only God can forgive sins. And Jesus tops it off as also forgiving sins. He's like, I'm just, just going to heal you. The guy stands up and walks away. Jesus digs a little deeper and he does this thing. He becomes friends with sinners. He is a friend of sinners. We see these walking along. And he sees Levi, the tax collector, at his tax booth. Levi is a terrible, horrible, awful person at this time. He is a drug dealer, human trafficker, works for the IRS and ISIS all at the same time. That is who this guy is, right? That's how we would view him. That's how we would perceive him. And he says to him, come and follow me. And then he's like, I'm going to your house and we're going to have a party at your house and your friends are going to be there. I'm going to hang out. And the Pharisees are outside looking at Jesus inside and they're going, what are you doing in there? Those are sick people. And Jesus just kind of leans out the window and says, yes, they are sick. And I'm a doctor. This is a good place for me to be. I have not come for the healthy, but for the sick. And he's showing them this whole new way that Jesus is, in fact, a friend of sinners. Jesus cuts away even at their traditions, even the good things that God has put into place. And they put all these rules and they've taken good things and they've made them heavy 
burdens for people to carry. Even, even as we talked about, fasting is wonderful, fasting is great. But Jesus refused to fast the way that the Pharisees fast because the Pharisees loved their rules. They, lo- they were very zealous about their rules and their traditions and how they did things. And so they added things on top of it, right? The Bible tells us only, in the Old Testament, only gives them one day of a command to fast. That was on the Day of Atonement. It's the only time that they are told to fast until they go make a, a sacrifice for their sins. That's the only day that they're commanded to do it. But the Pharisees go, no, that's not enough. We've got to add more. We're going to do twice a week, and we're going to make it strenuous, and we're going to make sure everybody knows that what we're doing and when we're fasting, we're going to add to what God has added to what God has said. Now, is fasting good? Absolutely. Should we fast more than one day a year? Absolutely. But Jesus is like, hey, and they get mad at Jesus. You're not following our rules. And he's like, you're not following the Bible. I'm following the Bible, not your rules. Then Jesus goes toe-to-toe with the Pharisees. Again, another complex thing of this, this beautiful thing called the Sabbath. God gives us the Sabbath from the, very, from the law of Moses of saying, hey, for six days of the week, you are going to work. Some of you need to hear that part. For six days, you're going to work. Not five days, you're going to sit around and watch TV and Netflix and video games. Like, no, six days you're going to work, and one day you're going to have off, and you're going to have a day of rest. And this is this beautiful thing that God created for him, and it's this gift, and these religious people take this gift from God, and they add all these rules, and they make a day of work, a day off of work, they make it work. They make it complex. They add all this extra stuff to it, and they yell at Jesus because he's violating the Sabbath. And he says, oh, no, 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 you don't get it. You don't get it. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I gave you the Sabbath, and I have come to be the Lord of the Sabbath. I've come to give you not just rest for your bodies, but rest for your very souls. That longing that you're longing for, that desire, I am him. I am the one that is going to give you eternal rest. Come into my rest. So Jesus is saying, I've come to fulfill it. Religious people get frustrated, and they keep trying to trap Jesus, keep trying to trick him. We're going to see that Jesus, again, has this interaction with religious controversy. Again, Pharisees and Jesus just keep on going back and forth. And Jesus is continuing to do his work. And these are written words to us. He's continuing to do the work in us to cut away at the inner Pharisee inside of us. He wants to get rid of that religious spirit that rises up in each side, each one of us. So today, we are going to have a pharisectomy. Yes, we are going to have a pharisectomy to remove your inner Pharisee and other religiously transmitted diseases. Okay? (laughs) We are going to do this. There's no appointment needed. There is no copay. The entire thing has been paid for by the blood of Jesus for you to be set free today. Okay? <laughs> so we're picking up right where Jesus left off. That he's been, right, he's been coming against all their traditions. He's, he's been going around preaching and proclaiming and teaching and healing. And what did he, his number one thing he came to do was to preach and proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand. It is here. And he is displaying the kingdom of God with power and authority. It says this, verse 1 of chapter 3. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. So Jesus says he goes in another time. Jesus often went. 
church. Okay, this is their version of church. Jesus often went to the synagogue and he goes there. This is, the, this is their equivalent to what their church time. Everybody's there, men, women, children. This is their time of prayer and worship and Bible reading. And a man is there, we're told, with a shriveled hand. This man has some kind of deformity in his hand. The Bible says, says uh, withered. Another translation might say withered. Another says shriveled. Uh, we don't know what happened. Quite possibly this was from, from birth. He was born this way. It could have been an accident. Something could have happened. Something could have crushed his hand. It could have, uh, it could, something could have, could have caused this long-term effect. And it says, and they, they watched him. That they there, that is the Pharisees again. They're watching him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. So you've got Jesus you got a man with a withered hand, and you've got holy people, Pharisees, the teachers of the law, religious spirit. They are, they, we give them a bad rap, but they're there just watching and making, what, what is this guy going to say? And they're watching him. What, what's Jesus going to do? What, what's, they're watching him. Are they watching him because they love Jesus? Are they watching him because, they, because they're like, they think, oh my gosh, he's about to heal this guy. This is going to be awesome. We're going to see another miracle of Jesus today. No, that's not what they're doing. Are they, are they watching him to hear an amazing biblical teaching from the most amazing man to ever walk on this earth and like open up the scriptures and new power and new authority? No. no not They're watching him because they want to accuse him. They're looking for a moment to criticize. They're looking for a moment to accuse. They're looking for a moment to prove that they know better than Jesus and that they don't need him. They're looking to make excuses that they do not need Jesus. And some of you might be there today, even if you're a believer. You're looking for ways that I don't need Jesus in this part of my life. And I say, you can't heal on the Sabbath. And here's the problem. According to the Pharisees, you aren't allowed to heal on the Sabbath. Apparently, you can criticize someone on the Sabbath. You can gossip on the Sabbath. You can set a trap for someone on the Sabbath. You can, you, can, you, can, you can have all these wrong thoughts, but you can't set someone free. You can't set someone and someone be healed on a day of rest. All right. <laughs> um, Luke's gospel tells us that he perceived what they were thinking. That Jesus, in the middle of his sermon, and just think of this like as I'm preaching up here, like in the middle of a sermon, he perceives what people are thinking. That's incredible. That's amazing. He sees it. And he knows that the man with the withered hand is there, and he knows that they're judging him, and they're looking, the Pharisees are looking to be offended. They're looking to be offended. And so you remember like in... This is, their, this is their modern church. And listen, we can do it the same exact way. When we can come into church, we can come in looking to be offended. If you look for offense, you will find it. If you look for a reason to be offended, you will be offended. Because Jesus is offensive, if anybody hasn't noticed that yet. He says some very offensive things. Acts 4, 12 says this, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name in heaven amongst 
men by which you must be saved. We as Christians love that. We think that's amazing. But right there, that's offensive because it's telling me that I need a savior. It tells me that I need to be saved. And it tells me that I cannot do it on my own. It tells me that there is only one that can save me. If you are an unbeliever, that is offensive. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. There is not multiple ways. There is not multiple paths. There is not multiple ways to be made right with God. There is one way, and that is Jesus, and that is offensive in our world today. So the next thing that's interesting is that, as my study that I saw this week, is that, that this man that's there really shouldn't be inside the synagogue. The man with the, the withered hand. You know, at this time, it, it, was not, it was not common, it was not common practice for people with disabilities, disformities, even women on their menstrual cycle to be able to come to the place of worship. No, you had to sit outside, right? You listen to the podcast, you get the notes from your sermon, you listen outside the window and see what you can hear. You're not welcome to come in. We remember this because they saw that like any kind of disformity, any kind of problem physical on someone's body was because of the result of sin. Jesus' disciples themselves said that when they saw a man crippled, they said, is this because of his sin or because of his parents' sin? So this was a common, a common mindset that people had. So he was not allowed in there. How terrible is that? Again, that religious spirit still creeps in today that you cannot bring your problems to church. We have this mindset still that you cannot bring your problems, your situations, your, your, your stuff, your mess, your disformities to church. That is not true. Because Jesus is here and he wants to heal you. And Jesus is not just saying, listen, I'm telling you this. Jesus is here and he wants to heal you. Not because this, yes, we pray over this building, we pray in this building. But not that this is like some just sacred holy ground or, or just like this is the only place that Jesus will meet us. But guess what? Jesus resides now within each one of us. And you are around a community of believers that carry Christ within us. So that when we come together, gathered around his name to worship and to praise him, he is here present with us. And he wants to heal you and set you free. When we come together under his name. And so I just have this like picture in this, this, this unnamed man with a withered hand. And he's coming into their, their version of church. And I could imagine like he knows that he's not supposed to come in there. So I could almost imagine he has this withered hand. So I could imagine he's hiding it. He's hiding his withered hand so no one else sees it. He puts it in his pocket. He puts it, he, he hides it so no, he's got one other good hand. I'll shake people with this hand, but I'm going to put this withered hand into my pocket. This is what the Holy Spirit is saying today is that some of you do that when you come to church. You may not have a withered hand but you have some situation that you feel or think that if anybody knew about it, you would not be welcomed here. So on your way in the parking lot, you take your withered hand and you put it in your pocket and you put on your church face and you act like everything is okay and you think, like, oh my gosh, if anybody knew about how I just screamed and yelled and how my anger is an issue, you're on the way to church, I gotta hide that. 
If anybody knew about the pornography issue that I faced this week, I've got to hide that. If anybody knew that I am that I am sleeping with my boyfriend or girlfriend outside of the wedlock of marriage, that I've got to hide that. I wouldn't be welcomed. I'm not welcomed here. Whatever it is, the, the corruption, the false things that you've done at work, and we think that we have to hide it when we come into church. Anybody got a withered hand? But Jesus doesn't back down. He says this. Jesus says to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. This is so outside of our American context and culture. Stand up in front of Could you imagine the tension of the room right there? Everyone's watching Jesus. What's Jesus going to say? What's Jesus going to do? Is he going to heal? Is he going to heal on the Sabbath? Is he going to address that this guy does not belong here in the temple? Is he going to make a spectacle of him? You know, we, we've seen Jesus heal. We've never seen him heal on the Sabbath. Is he going to heal on the Sabbath now? What's going to go on? The religious leaders are looking at him. They're leaning in. They're going, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? And he says, come up here. Come up here. Imagine how that must feel to be that man. The tense, the, the, the humiliation. You're brought in front of everyone with your problem. You already feel like you don't belong. You've already been working to hide what you came in with. And, you, and then now the preacher calls you out in front of everyone. Oh, how many of you want to hide under the chairs, duck tail it out the back door? I don't know if you've ever been in a service where someone moves in the prophetic and like you want it. Like, oh God, please have a word for me. But I'm kind of scared too. Like, oh my gosh, don't, don't, because I'm, I'm going to be revealed. Everybody's going to see my sin. They're going to see the faults. It's like, I want it, but I'm also like nervous that like it's going to highlight me. <laughs> and that's like me saying, hey, um, hey, the couple that's sleeping together that's not married, why don't you guys come on up here? Hey, uh, the person with the crack pipe in your car, why don't you go get that out of the car and come bring it up here? Hey, the person that, 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 that stole from your company and it got found out this week and you got fired, why don't you come up here, grab the microphone and tell us your deepest fears? Whew. Jesus makes people uncomfortable. That would be humiliating. Some of us are thinking, I'm not a Pharisee. But all of a sudden, I start bringing stuff like that. I'd be like, oh, my gosh, no, I want people to see the good side of me. I want people to see the good side of me. Can you imagine the Pharisees? They're thinking, oh, my gosh, this is the moment. Jesus, Jesus, we got him in a corner. He's trapped. He's going to join our ranks. He's going to be a Pharisee in no time because he's going to call this guy out on his sin. He's not going to heal on the Sabbath. He's, he's on his way. We finally got him. And Jesus says this in verse 4, he says, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. So what is it better? Is it better to help a person? Is it better to help a person that's suffering? Is it better to, to or to, to, to hurt them by letting them stay in their pain? Would you rather stand up for what is right and do the right thing or go along with the crowd? Would you rather do the difficult, challenging thing or do what is needed to set this person free? It says they were silent, but they were silent. That's their answer. Their silence condemns them. And this is that verse. We looked at this in men's group, but I won't go to the same topic here. But he looked at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And Jesus gets angry. Some of you have been taught that Jesus is a pacifist, that Jesus just walks around on clouds, just 
blessed in peace, my brother. Never saying anything mean, never saying anything challenged anyone. But Jesus right here gets angry and deeply distressed at their hearts. Now, when Jesus gets angry, I don't think he gets angry the same way that we do. I don't think he clenches his teeth and balls his fist up and raises his voice. No, Jesus's anger is a righteous anger. He knows, like he's, he, this is like the Old Testament God that we see because he's the same person, right? He was angry because he was grieved, just as the Old Testament says that God was grieved by the sin of man. He's grieved that these Pharisees would rather see this man be continue in a life of torment, continue with his withered hand than to be healed, set free, and changed because it would make them uncomfortable and break the rules. They were afraid to stand up for what's right. And when put in a position to speak up, they said nothing. He was angry and grieved the hardness and stubbornness of their hearts. They're in church, but they're far from God. They're in church, but they don't have the compassion of God. Instead of worshiping, they're criticizing. Instead of repenting, they're resisting. They have a hard heart. These Pharisees have a hard heart towards the the heart of God. They 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 don't have a concern and a care for people. They're more focused on their rules. They don't love, they love their reputation more than they love people. He looks at the fair, I can almost imagine, he says like, you can almost, like imagine this scene, this next verse here. He said, he said, as he says to the man of like, hey, calls him up front first, looked at the anger and he says, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and it was completely restored. Now I wonder who Jesus is looking at at this time. Is he looking at the man or is he looking at the Pharisees in the front row? Stretch out your hand. He's not backing down. He's not intimidated by this religious spirit. When it comes to the point of going toe-to-toe with it, Jesus will do it. He will not be influenced by those around us and do what is opposite of the Father's heart. I mean, Jesus could have healed this man anytime. He could have said, like, hey, he's preaching. He, 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 he. He perceived their thoughts. He perceived that this man was there. He could have said, hey, Peter, see that guy back there in the coat? I think he's got a withered hand. Why don't you tell him, meet me out back behind the synagogue after, and I'll heal him. I just don't want to cause any ruffles with the Pharisees. They've been on my track a lot, right? Or he could have, like, on the way out of service, hey, hey, man, um, here's my card. I'll be in Galilee until next week. So Tuesday's my healing day. Why don't you make an appointment with, 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 with Judas? He's really good at keeping up with things. And... Uh, and we'll set a time for you to get healed. Like Jesus could have done all these other ways of healing him. But he doesn't do that. He calls him out in the synagogue in front of God, in front of everyone else, on the Sabbath, in front of the crowd. Facing opposition, Jesus doesn't resist it. He heals the man. This is so awesome. This like jumped off the page of me this week. Is that this shows that, listen, we look at Jesus. Jesus came, he came. He didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. He came to fill it completely. Jesus knew the law. Jesus knew. Jesus did take a Sabbath. I know last week we talked about him eating the grain, all this stuff. But like, like he took a Sabbath. He took a rest. He followed what God had called him to do, right? He understood the, pla- the place of silence and solitude and rest and all this stuff. So he takes a, sa- a Sabbath rest. So this is the Sabbath. And so he yet still on the Sabbath heals someone. He still heals someone. And the Pharisees are thinking that's work. 
to Jesus to heal someone is not work at all. It is, it's, not, it's not against the Pharisees' laws or the laws of the Bible to speak on the Sabbath. You can speak on the Sabbath, and that is all Jesus has to do is simply speak, and someone is healed. It does not exhaust him. He does not waste energy. He is not tired from healing someone. Man, that should just build our faith. Simple spoken, spoken word of Jesus. He's not breaking the law. He's just speaking. Jesus took it seriously. So, man, oh. And I know that we give these Pharisees a bad rap sometimes, right? They are like the punching bag in the Bible of the religious spirit. And we, we, we kind of beat them up. But really, when we look at who they were, they really, they really wanted to please God. They really wanted to please God. They did take scripture very seriously. Now they took it so serious that they went beyond scripture and they missed the point of scripture and they looked, they missed Jesus because they were so wrapped up in it. But the fact is they knew the word. They knew that God was holy. They knew that God had called them to be holy. They knew their history as the nation of Israel and they knew that when they did not follow what God had called them to do, that they ended up in suffering. They ended up being ruled by someone else. So they were like, hey, when we do these rules, when we follow God, things go well. And so they were calling themselves to be holy and they were calling the people to be holy. They really had a desire to be holy. But they missed the fact that they could not be holy without Jesus. But listen, I want you to hear this. These guys, are like, they're not, like, how opposite is that of today's message? How many people do you run into that they are pursuing holiness? How many times do you hear popular sermons, the most shared sermon on YouTube being a sermon on holiness? No, we love grace. I love grace. I love mercy. I love forgiveness. Holiness part, uh, that's like the opposite direction of our culture today, both in the church and outside the church. What? You want a church that's going to speak, not just about God forgiving you, but he's going to start speaking about these other things, about who you sleep with and how you spend your money. And, and when the society is saying everything different and just form and, you know, be in the world but not of the world, so we should look more like the world, right? No, when you start standing upon the word of God and you start looking different and looking holy, it's like saying, no, no sex outside of marriage is what Bible says. Oh, the Bible is sexually restrictive. So the world's going to say, no, no, no. Yo, oh, you're not supposed to have an abortion? Oh, the Bible hates women. Oh, you, you, you don't condone gay marriages? Oh, you're such a bigot. Oh, you think Jesus is the only way? You're so intolerant. You think the Bible is real? Have you, you are so closed-minded. Haven't you seen the things? You're a hypocrite. You're arrogant. You're wrong. When we really start to live holy lives and separate lives and speak of holy things. It's interesting. Everyone is loving and tolerant until you disagree with them. We all have a tendency to become like Pharisees then. Instead of holiness, our culture is pursuing unholiness. Instead of legalism, it's liberalism. Right? The goal is not to be legalistic. The goal is not to take the Bible so, to the point that we go beyond the Bible. And add things to it and miss the heart of God. But the goal is also to not take grace for granted and move and to become liberal where you, 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 you change what the Bible says. And it says, oh, it says this, but God didn't really mean that. And, and you know, he's the love and grace covers it all. The goal is not legalism and the goal is not liberalism. Your goal is to be like Jesus. Amen. And he doesn't fit into either one of those categories. 
we live in a day just like Jesus. People were hard-headed, hard-hearted, religious, rebellious, legalistic, and liberals. And a whole mixture in between. So are we going to be a people that stand upon the scriptures and live according to the scriptures? Are you going to have boldness to live out your convictions? Because Jesus stands what's for, what is right when, it, when, when everyone around him is, is kind of pressuring him to just kind of bend and to break with it. Verse 6 says this, Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This is the first time in the Gospel of Mark that we see this plot to crucify and kill Jesus. The Pharisees are so angry with Jesus that they have a desire to murder him. And they team up with this this other group known as the Herodians. They're the ruling class of the Roman officials. They're not technically fully Jewish, but they're interested in Jewish matters and all all the history stuff there. But if you were to put them into two different camps, the Pharisees are the legalists and the Herodians are the liberalist, and they both don't want Jesus around. We get to the, just chapter 3, and we see the reason that Jesus came. He came. Jesus entered into this world preaching the kingdom of God is coming, and he came to make everything right. He came to set people free from bondage, to heal them of their disease. He came, and he lived a sinless life. And that sinless life led him to be falsely accused, to be falsely trialed, to be crucified and murdered on a cross on our behalf. And his innocent blood took the place of my blood that should have been spoiled. And his body was beaten and bloody and battered and bruised and broken on my behalf, on my sin's behalf, so I could have freedom. But he resurrects freeing and setting free hardened hearts, rebellious spirits, religious spirits, legalism, liberalism, all of it ultimately comes under the cross of Jesus Christ. When we think of those Pharisees, we think and those, those legalistic, oh, they're horrible, they're terrible, and one side of us can go, get those religious people, get those legalistic people, come on, get them. And the other side can be like, <laughs> get those liberals, get those skinny jean wearing liberals that just make up the rules. And we want to just pin each other against each other, right? <sighs> the fact is, Martin Luther said this, the founder of the Protestant Reformation, rightly said this religion is the default mode of the human heart. Religion is the default mode. And if we're honest with ourselves, there's a little bit of Pharisee inside each one of us. There's a little Pharisee inside each one of us. If you're ever in your church community group and you see someone walking in, you're like, oh, man, they're here. Oh, man. You ever, you ever, you ever, you ever see someone look at their life and like, man, these people just made a mess of their life. They're such a mess. I can't believe the problems they've got. Man. So even I can turn it into spiritual. Oh, thank you, God, for not making me like them. Thank you, God, for opening my eyes and seeing and, and setting my path better. There's a little bit of Pharisee inside each one of us. Even in our church where we preach grace and truth, we preach the grace of God over and over and over. And the heart is that you never miss the grace of God. 
But even like that, in our place, we can become legalistic or we can lean towards liberalism. And we judge people by how they fit into our perspective. So, here's where we're landing. How are you, what what does your faith look like when other people aren't around watching you? Most of us can come in here, Bible in hand, sing my favorite worship song, hands in the air, yes, oh my gosh, I'm so blessed, I'm so good, I come to community group, and I've got a testimony to share, but who are you when no one's watching? Are you walking with him? Are you you living, Are are you striving? Do you want holiness in your life? Have you stopped, con- have, you, uh, have you been so busy covering your sin instead of confessing your sin? Do you come in like, and, I, and I'm going to cover it up. I'm going to cover up my stuff, my mess, and I'm going to put on a face so everybody sees who I am. And, and in the same time, <laughs> see that the Pharisee and the man with the withered hand, I think is both of us is that we have a withered hand. We have something in our life that is holding us back. There's something in our life that is a sin in our life, but we, 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 we are like a Pharisee and we think our sin is not a big deal. And we make excuses for it. We don't let the heart of God speak to that as small as it might be. But whatever, is, whatever God convicts you to, whatever is sin... To you is what God is convicted. It's, it's sin. If it is like, if you, if you know that God is speaking to you, they say, no, that's not right. That is a sin. But we can kind of brush it off. See, the, the Pharisees fought being convicted. They fought the conviction to the point that they were willing to put Jesus to death. Because they weren't willing to be convicted by him. So, as I close... I started my sermon by saying things that don't mix. My friend Omar put one on my Facebook page that just kind of changed my message. And he said, Christians in bondage. Christians in bondage do not mix. Did you know that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ... That he did not go through all of the torture of the cross just to save you so that when you die, you go to heaven and you do not go to hell. That was part of it, but that's not the only reason. He came to bring you life that you do not have to go through hell in this earth. He came that you might be free. He came to set each and every one of us free and to walk in freedom. So on top of like seeing this post from my friend Omar and then Wednesday night we were back here praying in this room and it was like holy ghost, fire, amazing thing and God rewrote my sermon. And he says to me, he's like, "There, there are those that are not walking in the freedom that I have for them. And you've gotten used to your withered hand. You've gotten accustomed to it. You've gotten, and you think it's just okay. And I'm telling you, it is no coincidence that you are here today. There's no coincidence that you're here in his presence. No coincidence the prayer that has gone on because there is no coincidence in the kingdom of God. There's no coincidence there's those that are watching online that he wants to set you free. So we can have a withered hand. 
We can have an area of bondage in our life and yet our Pharisee heart will prevent us from doing anything about it. We can justify it away. And we walk in and out of church in different places in bondage over and over. And we can think my sin's not that bad. It's not that big of a deal. So I just want you to ask yourself, what are you hiding? What do you put in your pocket, hide in your sleeve from others around you? What is that thing in your life that you know is sin? I mean, it could be as simple as a Netflix show that you're watching and you know that it's not good for your heart and your soul. And again, we're not missing the grace of God, but he has a sense right now, he is calling us to greater freedom so we can live in greater holiness because he's about to pour himself out and do something amazing and he's looking for a holy people. He's looking for a people that are gonna look different. So Jesus came to perform a pharisectomy. He wants to cut it out. He wants to cut it out. He wants to cut away. He wants to heal your disease. He wants to heal your addiction. He wants to heal your mental health, your depression. So would you guys stand with me? something different today <laughs> because the truth of the matter is if you were in that synagogue that day and you had a withered hand as humiliated as you would have been possibly if Jesus would have called you out in front of everyone you would have come in hiding your sin putting it in your pocket you would have been so over like maybe embarrassed and oh my gosh don't call me out don't bring attention to me but how did that man leave he came in the synagogue one way and he left another way. He came in the synagogue with a withered hand that he was hiding and he left with two hands. And he's like, hey, I'm going to get me a job. I get to go do something, I am healed. And so listen, he was called out up in front of everyone, which is so against our culture. But listen, there's a moment that we have to draw a line in the sand. And so right now the Holy Spirit has been here. We've been praying, even prayer team, worship team. I told you like, hey, if this is even you respond before you come and pray for anyone, God, what are you doing? What are you speaking? What is the moment I said, do you have a withered hand? It came to your mind. If you said, I have a withered hand and you could associate with this, I want you to come down to this altar right now. So the Holy Spirit is here. This is no condemnation. This is a grace place that he wants to be done with it and deal with it once and for all. And we wanna come in one way and we wanna leave another way. That withered hand, you do not have to walk out with it anymore. Oh, Lord Jesus, come and do your work, Lord Jesus. Lord, come and do what only you can do, Lord, in our hearts, in our lives, Lord Jesus. God, we've been hiding for so long. We've been hiding from our brothers and sisters that love us, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we've even been hiding from you the things, Lord Jesus, that we've become accustomed to, we've become comfortable with, we've excused away. 
And God, there's even some in this room that they're like, I've already been to the altar 15 billion, 100 times for this thing. I've already been here so many times, but he is coming to do it anew today. And he's calling us to be holy and set apart for his purposes. So Holy Spirit, we thank you for being here right now. Lord Jesus.